Max Gorlin, Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. Welcome back to another episode of the 50 Most Relevant. Gosh, we're getting close to departing the 20s and entering into the teens. Today, number 21. Our first cash cow of the 50 most relevant. And for some of you like, why have you got a cow and a kid that's never played? <laughs> Don't you worry about that. We will cover that on this episode. Joining me, he's pretty draft relevant as well as salary cap. So I had to get Jimmy back on for it. Hello, mate. How are you? Hello, MJ. Hello, listeners. I think I misheard you there. Um, you said number one, not number 21, right? I said number 21, didn't I? Let's hope he's, I said 21. If I said I, one, I think he's an argument to be the most relevant player this year, just quietly. But uh, carry on. Let's jump in. No, look, he was certainly a guy that's right in that name value, but he's a mid-forward, second year in an AFL system. And gosh, there was nothing to talk about from his 2021 season from an elite level because he was recovering off that ACL, which means... He's one of the bargain rookies for us in 2022. 123,900 in Supercoach, 190K in Fantasy, and just over 180,000 in Dream Team. And we could make this a very simple, quick podcast episode if if we wanted to, Jimmy, and it would be this. Mm -hmm. He's got DPP, pretty much basement price, a handy DPP too, being a mid-forward eligibility for us. And... He's in the best 22 open shut case. It could be as simple as that, really, if we wanted to build the case that way. I think so. That's it. If he's named round one, you pick him. Done. All right, great. Well, if you want to catch up more on the 50. (laughs) (laughs) There are great things about Elijah. And again, draft followers and under 18 um, kind of students of the game will know exactly why Gold Coast were wrapped to get him at pick seven. And this is why, as fantasy coaches, we're just locking him away without seeing him at all at the elite level. Only a handful of games in the VFL, it's this. He's got this rare X-factor combination where he's a penetrating kick, he's clean at clearance work, strong at stoppage, takes a really nice overhead mark, and can impact the scoreboard with a really reliable shot at goal. And then he's not just this offensive weapon, though, is he, Jimmy? He's When he's in the midfield or when he's rolling through that forward line, he's actually got this elite hunger and work rate to apply defensive pressure, really nice defensive kind of textures and really nice technique about him. So when he sticks a tackle, they rarely bust out of it. So he's this really nice rounded player. You know, I was surprised North Melbourne didn't go for him at pick three back in the 2020 draft. I know Will Phillips, they're bullish on. But yeah. for me, I go, man, they could have had this X factor. I know they've got one now in Jason Horn Francis. Yeah. But I thought he was the guy going at number three last year. So for the Gold Coast Suns to get him off an ACL is, is just a supreme bit of movement for them. Oh, absolutely. And he fits nicely into that list, I think. Um, yeah, he'll get that opportunity, um, especially while they're still sort of figuring out exactly what their mix looks like and how they're going to find their way back up the ladder. Um, yeah, and that's, uh, back up as though they've made it before. <laughs> um, but when, once they do, they're, 
they're in that sort of structure now where they've got so much young talent with yeah. him and Flanders and uh, Raul and, and uh, Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. Sharp. How many more do we name? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and in some ways you go, well, gee, how do they fit him in? But he's that talented. They will make room for him. And even if in those first few games, um, and we do need to talk, I think, about the potential downside or, or at least the limitations. He may be in the forward pocket for the first month. We don't really know yet. Yep. Um, but I think, as you said off the bat, it's safe to say that he should be, if they're looking at what they need to do with that list, he should be best 22 from the outset if he's yep. fit and ready to go. Um, and, and he will build into whatever role they find for him comfortably, I think. Yeah, with, without doubt. Heading into his draft season, he was one of the a handful of names that was touted as a probable number one pick then in mm. preseason, ACL, year over. Um, the year was then over for all Victorian juniors in a matter of weeks later with the COVID-impacted um, yeah. under-18 season. But as a bottom ager, he showed some fantasy pedigree. Remember, it's rare that a player in their first year in under-18s establishes themselves as a star. We often see traits that we go, wow, I like what this guy will be, but it's in that top age that Mm. we really see them put it all together. And in his four times of playing for the Murray Bush Rangers in NAB League, um, he played predominantly as a forward, but he averaged 11 kicks, six handballs, six marks, four tackles and a goal a game. You want to translate that to fantasy? It's a super coach average of 92 and 84 in AFL fantasy. Um, once he got his way to the Gold Coast Suns, they took a conservative approach because let's be honest, like Jimmy, you said, they got enough kids. They're mm. in no rush. They want this guy to develop into the fullness of his potential. And so he played only a handful of VFL games last year, predominantly as a forward pocket, pushing up to high half forward and not much else. But there was one game that's got people excited. Now, this is VFL, which was also some needful level talent yeah. through here. So so let's take this with a grain of salt because he's mm. an elite junior coming up against guys that are not ever going to make the AFL list, let alone anything substantial. But it's enough for us to be excited about. In his final game, 27 touches, 11 of them contested, five clearances, four tackles, three marks, a super coach turn of 112 and 96 AFL fantasy points. So he's fit. He's right to go. He's had a full preseason. Um, that's positive. His basement price. He's uh, barring a unforeseen injury. He's going to be one of the most highly selected players. But I think Jimmy, what you've brought up is a really nice point that sometimes not going to get highlighted enough. We've been blessed with these beautiful cash cows over the past few years, early top end talents that have delivered 80s and 90s and tons very early on. Matt Rowe, Sam Walsh, even Errol Goulden um, burst out of the packs. Braden Campbell had a ton early on last year. Tom Powell was a really strong early, multiple 90s and 100s for us. I don't forecast that level of ceiling for him, purely off that point that you made. I just don't think there's going to be a heap of midfield opportunities early for him in the year. Yeah, look, and I think the other thing we need to keep in mind is we don't necessarily need that. Um, no, it's not true. a problem if he scores fifties and sixties for us for for four or five six weeks to open out season. If he does that, he's done his job very very nicely. Hundred um, percent. He's got that upside if a role does happen to fall in his lap um, by injury or suspension or um, just purely forcing his way in there after a Absolutely. couple of weeks. Then um, yeah, all power to him. Um, 
so there's there is that potential upside as he's shown as a junior and and in the reserves last year coming back off that injury um he's now had a uh, or in the process um touch mm. wood of having a, a proper preseason which is yeah. very very nice um so he could come good there but i do think as you say we need to just temper our expectations um yeah if he plays and he scores something that's a win um if he goes big then yeah happy days yeah it's, it's a bit different at 50 or 60 you might be hearing us talk going but that doesn't help me at all. You're not paying an elite premium on him as a cash cow. Um, mm. So at a basement price of 50 or 60 with DPP, it's a guy you can roster on the field. No problems um, yeah. with some scoring upside. Now, if a Jason Horn Francis or a Nick Dacos, these premium priced cows are then chucking up a 50 or 60, that's a different story. You need your premium cows to be giving 10 to 15 points per game above these basement guys to match the same level of cash generation. Because remember, at a higher price means a higher break even needs to be achieved to maximize the same level of cash movement. So don't just get stuck of going, ah, oh, I got a 65 out of Horn Francis, but I got a 55 out of um, Hollands. Therefore, Horn Francis was a better pick. Well, no, 10 points isn't enough. Now, this is no knocking on Jason. It's more highlighting the ideology and the mindset of at a basement price, a 55, it's more than enough. Remember, you're paying in some formats six, seven hundred thousand or eight, nine hundred thousand to just get a weekly hundred. So to get that for under 200,000 across the formats at a half price of that um, in terms of scoring, you you just can't knock it. I, I don't see an immediate bump of midfield. Uh, they ran a pretty tight CBAs last year. It was yeah. Raul, Anderson, Fiorini, Took, Swallow mm. was probably next. I think if anyone's emerging through there, it's got to be Sam Flanders that, yes. that's kind of next in line. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if they gave him one a quarter, one a half, just, just as the development opportunity for him. Um, yeah. and, and look, we've said it enough. It's really simple. He'll play round one if he's fit. And the only reason he won't be is if something happens over the next 40 odd days. And if that does, okay, readjusting is an in-season option to grab, or he's a guy that you know will play and you can use him as your vice captaincy, captaincy loophole player, if you need be um, across the formats. But for me, he should be one of the most highly owned guys across the formats. Uh, I'm predicting a 60s safely from him um, across the formats. No real concerns. Even if he is playing that heavy forward role, as you said, he's such a talent through there. But drafts is the interesting one to me, Jimmy, because salary caps is just a no-brainer. Seasonal and keeper leagues. Let's break that down a little bit more. In a season-long league, generally it's not your yet-to-debut players that make much of an impact. But yep. we know the forward line's pretty stinky, even with the ultimate footy additions we've got in the past few days. Where should we or should we at all be looking for him in a single season draft? Look, he, for me, would sit in a single season in that little collection of players you have in your back of your notebook somewhere. That's that when you get to the final couple of rounds and you're looking for someone to fill your roster on the off chance that they play and you're just looking for potential upside, someone that you can waive a churn if you need to, um, he fits that bill. Um, I've got no problem, yeah, taking a flyer on him in that last one or two picks. I wouldn't be picking him any earlier for a single season league. I think if someone's jumping on him to fill an on-field role, that's probably a mistake. You'll be able to find guys that you know can deliver 70s if that's what you're looking for um, to fill the last spot on your forward line. Um, 
if you're picking him on that off chance that um, Raul and uh, Swallow and Tuchel do a knee before round one starts and he gets some serious mid-time, yeah. then um, A, don't. Um, but B, yeah, that, uh, yeah, there's upside and that's what you're looking for in that last pick. Um, I also think that because of that keeper season mentality that mm. a lot of coaches um, deliberately or otherwise bring into a single season Or even league. a bit of cash cow hype that might come through. Exactly. Um, everyone's going to be talking about him in the preseason. So if he plays round one and delivers a respectable score, a 75 or an 80, his trade value is going to be more than it should be. Um, yes. And so That's I true. don't hate owning him from that point of view either. I think there's you know, maybe something that, depending on how astute the other coaches in your league are, um, there's something you might be able to work with there. I like it. All right, let's talk keeper leagues. And there's two kind of mindsets. Ultimately, with every keeper league, the caveats, as with all drafts, but certainly with keepers, it's about how many your league retains year on year. There are some that do dynasty style and you're keeping 35 plus across a year. You've got other keepers that are a little bit shallower and it's half a dozen to a dozen. So there's ultimately a lot of variance that can come through there. So to give a one size fits all sort of advising keepers is always dangerous off that. But yes. Let, let's talk to the coach that's currently got Elijah Hollands on their list. Mm. Um, knowing that the unknowing variance of list retention <laughs> numbers is dangerous. Yeah. How bullish should a, a keeper coach be on finding a way to retain him on their list? versus redrafting him. And then we'll talk about where he might go in a, in a keeper league if he is in the pool. Yeah, sure. Look, I think, as you say, it's too hard to draw a single line as a, you absolutely must keep him or, or not. Um, and so you, you are looking at what your overall roster looks like and the player that you'd be dropping instead of him. I think if you do own him and you can't see a way to keep him, you look to trade him before. Um, before draft season starts, you know, there's no reason that he should be in the pool going in. Um, if you can't keep him because your list is so strong, then someone else is bound to be in a position that they'll want him instead. So, so where yeah. would you put him like amongst the, mm. the Powells, the Gouldens, the Campbells, these guys yeah. that picked up last year? I, I presume is he closer to the back of the line than the middle of the pack? Because he Look, hasn't played games? Because he hasn't played games, yeah. You are kind of working on hope as much as anything. But from everything he's given us in terms of his his junior career and, and his reserves form, the, the talent he's got, the club that he plays for, I think mm -hmm. makes him more relevant as well. Um, all of those things, yeah, put him in that next bracket, I think, behind those that actually got to play and, and proved something last year. So um, you're keeping him ahead of Brody Kemp for sure. But it's yeah. the... Um, whereabouts in that, I guess, you know, really depends on what you've got uh, up your sleeve. Yeah. Some leagues have rules where you have to keep a certain number of juniors. And so, true. Um, you know, if you've got too many of those types, um, you'd be looking to sell him to someone who doesn't. Yeah. That's um, true. But yeah, he's definitely a valuable commodity, um, I guess is the best way that I'd put it. Um, whether he's of more value to you or someone else, like every player, um, mm. you know, Aaron Hall will be more valuable to some clubs than others coming into this season. So um, that's, I guess, what you'd sort of look at there. He's not a player who should be delisted and available to draft in any league, I guess yeah. is the way I'd put it. It, it. You might remember a handful of years ago, if you played keeper leagues, it, there's a very similar parallels, both in the style of player, but, mm -hmm. but also in the reality of what happened to Christian Petrarca, where yeah. he did a knee in his first year at the, and didn't play through the, um, the AFL season again. Petrarca did it at AFL level, Hollands did it and didn't play in his first season. And I remember talking to a lot of keeper coaches that hindsight's a beautiful thing. And that's ultimately the, the great revealer yep. in keeper leagues, but people having him 
and regretting either trading or letting him drop back into the pool. If you were in that Petrarca scenario and you are a Holland owner, my advice would be don't live in regret twice over. You'd, I'd almost <laughs> rather in that space, if that was the regret you've got gone, I'd rather regret holding and it burning me than yeah. re- regret having him and letting him go. But if he is in the pool for whatever reason or variance, where do you place him amongst these new draftees that people are going? So I, I think Nick Dacos is certainly, in my eyes, probably the clear number one rookie to go. Jason Horn Francis in others is kind yeah. of either versatile for one or certainly the number two. They seem to be the top two off people's boards. So you've got those two. You've then got a couple more, you know, Ward and Callahan that are getting talked about a lot, those other younger midfield Yeah, McDonald I like. Yeah. A bunch of others. Yes. Where yep. does... Where does if Hollands is in the pool, let's help keeper coaches. Yeah. Where does he's got that unknowing same of these guys? Mm. Where does he sit roughly in the ballpark? Is it anywhere after those top two, or is he a little bit further behind? No, I'd I'd have him in that same conversation. I think he's you know he's now another year older. He's had another preseason. Um, uh, so I'd have him in that conversation with those sort of players personally. No, I think it's a fair um, shout too, man. Hey, yeah. as always, mate, appreciate your work on the fifty most relevant. No worries. Good fun, that one. As always, if you want to get... It's because we're doing a lot of drafts. That's why you're enjoying that one. Um, if you want to go and check it out, the article, it is online for you now at coachespanel.tv. We've got a little bit more info on what his junior career might have looked like and how that could help you. But like I said, you just pick him in, in salary caps to be truthful. All the other players revealed so far in the 50 most relevant, they are also available for you to check out at coachespanel.tv. If you're loving what you're getting from the Coaches Panel this preseason, there's a bunch of different ways you can support us. Uh, you can follow Follow us across all social media, making sure you've uh, followed us across wherever you're getting these podcasts. You can tell people in your leagues, whether it be salary caps or drafts about the coaches panel, or you can become a Patreon member and for just a couple of bucks a month, invest into the coaches panel. We'll kick you back some rewards just for getting involved, some exclusive content, cash league prizes, and a bunch of other stuff. All the links for all those things you can find at coachespanel.tv. All right. Tomorrow, our final day in the 20s. And every year, this is the narrative about this player across every format of the game. Oh, wow. He was incredible last year. I'm going to make sure I start with him. Then somehow through the preseason, you fall in love with other players over him. And you think to yourself, well, that's okay. I'll just target him during the year. But what he has is high ceiling, high scoring basement, and he's never attainable cheap. And as a result, another year goes by where you don't own him and you sit back at the end of the season going, oh, how did I not get him next year? I'll find a way to start with him. And the cycle repeats. Who is this guy that is so good in every format and yet way, way low ownership in comparison to what he should be? I'll tell you tomorrow in the 50 most relevant, unless you're a Patreon, you already know. Give it up.